All right, let's continue uh, worshiping the Lord as we hear from the scriptures this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, want to follow along, we are in Philippians chapter 2. So kind of buried in the New Testament is Philippians chapter 2, one of the Apostle Paul's letters. You guys remember the memory device, General Electric Power Company. That's how you guys can find Philippians the New Testament starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how smart people figure out their way around the Bible, through stuff like that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This sermon series we titled Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a name given to the Messiah by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah spoke of a coming king, a son who would be born unto us, and his name would be Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew name for God with us, because that is the glorious truth that we are celebrating at Christmas, that God in the flesh has dwelt among us through the person of Christ. Um, oftentimes for a Christmas sermon series, we will study uh, the Christmas narrative. We'll sort of approach things narratively. Uh, and look at the different stories of Jesus' birth from Luke chapter 1 and 2, from Matthew chapters 1 and 2. Uh, this year, we're not studying it narratively so much as we are studying it theologically. And the theological concept that we're looking at is, I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, that big word, incarnation, uh, which literally means the enfleshing, the embodiment of God himself. The Word became flesh through the birth of Christ. So that's what we're studying this year, and we're going to continue to in Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul speaks of Jesus as being in the form of God. And even though being in the form of God, he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's the incarnation. That's the theological, beautiful truth that we're celebrating around Christmas. That Jesus, though in the form of God, took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. So let's uh, see what this really high-minded theological truth, how it relates to our lives. Paul has a lot of practical things that this big theological truth relates to. So I'll read these words for us. And then we'll dive in. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. As soon as I turn there. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, well then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so therefore, God has now highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who is in charge? That's an important question, isn't it? Who is in charge? Whether we're consciously thinking about it or not, this question is always relevant in every area of life. So who's in charge of this worship service? Who's in charge of this church? Very importantly, who is in charge of coffee at this church? I get a big headache if I don't get all the caffeine I need, so it's really important. We make sure that's covered. Who is in charge of your workplace? Who's in charge of the individual tasks that make up your workplace? Who's in charge of this city? Who's in charge of this nation? Who's in charge of the world? Who's in charge of the universe? Who's in charge of you? Or to put it in the language of Philippians chapter 2, who is the Lord? Well, the message of Philippians chapter 2 is this. Jesus is Lord of all. The apostle responds to the question, who's in charge, with the bold reply that Jesus is Lord of all. There is none above him. There is no one who does not answer to him. There is nothing outside of his domain. Jesus is Lord. We're certainly going to see this truth in Philippians chapter 2, but it's really throughout the Bible. So in all of Scripture, the word Lord is used well over 7,000 times, nearly 7,500 times. And most often when Scripture uses this word, it's a reference to God or Christ himself. So if we're going to understand who the God of the Bible is, then it's crucial that we understand he is the Lord. And we specifically see this truth in Philippians chapter 2. You saw it there in verse 11. The apostle says that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says every person ever is going to confess the truth that Jesus is Lord because every person ever is under the lordship of Jesus. Nothing is outside of his domain. No one does not answer to him. He is Lord of all. But here's the thing about Philippians 2. Paul is not so much concerned about declaring the truth that Jesus is Lord. No, he is more so concerned about calling us to live in light of the Lordship of Christ. 
He's calling us to respond rightly to the Lordship of Christ. So how do we do that? How do we respond to the truth that Jesus is Lord? How do we live in light of his Lordship overall? You know, team members respond to their coach, who's in charge of the team, in a certain way. And children respond to their parents, who are in charge of their homes, in a certain way. And students respond to their teachers, who are in charge of their classrooms, in a certain way. And it's no different for Jesus. We respond to his lordship in a certain way. So how do we respond? Well, the apostle is going to give us at least three directions. First, he says, selflessly serve. This is how you respond to the truth that Jesus is Lord. Selflessly serve. You look back at verse 2, Paul is instructing the church, and he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So in all these different ways, essentially Paul is saying that he wants the church to be unified. He wants them to be of the same mind, same love, in full accord, one mind, not different minds, the same mind, not different loves, one love, not discord, accord, not two minds, one mind. Because the church was pulled towards division, he now, under Christ's lordship, calls them to unity. And church, do we feel this same pull toward division today amongst us? You bet we do. Over the last few years, there's been political division over who we should vote for. There's been cultural division about how we should respond to racial injustice there's been public health policy division about whether we should wear masks or not. We did not cover that in seminary. Public health policy and how the church should respond as one. Didn't take that class. All sorts of division has pulled at the fabric of our unity and threatened us with all sorts of divisions. So what's the solution? To this kind of division? How do we maintain one mind, one love? Paul continues in verse 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, he says, don't be selfish, be selfless. Don't be arrogant, be humble. And he says what this looks like. It looks like considering other people more significant than yourself. It looks like considering other people more important than yourself. It means having the mindset, your opinion is more significant than my opinion. Your desires are more important than my desires. Your feelings, fellow church member, are more important than my feelings. That's what selflessness looks like. And that's how we can maintain unity when we're selfless like that. 
And then starting in verse 5, he points to the example of Christ who did this very thing. He says to the church, have this mind, this selfless, concerned about unity mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He then humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even, even death on a cross. Paul says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, took the form of a servant. Jesus, though he had every right to judge us, he instead served us. Jesus had every right to condemn us for our sin, but instead chose to die for our sin. So I want to encourage you now, if you are seeking in this place, if you have in your life sort of come to the end of yourself and realize there's a need for some sort of concept of God in your life, some sort of higher power in your life, if you're sort of on this journey of seeking, I want to encourage you right now that on your search, you will never find another God who even claims to do anything like this. Jesus, the Lord of glory, Jesus, the eternal word, Jesus, who is high and lifted up, Jesus, whom the angels eternally circle, singing holy, 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 that Jesus, in the form of God, found it in himself to take on the form of a servant, and to be born in the likeness of men, and to become obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. He had every right to judge us, but he served us. He had every right to condemn us, but instead chose to be condemned for us on the cross. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news that you will find like this. You have found what you're looking for in the gospel of Jesus. And so I encourage you, halt, stop looking, come to the feet of the Lord of glory who is also the servant of all. This is the good news you've been searching for. Now back to the church, you guys who found Jesus. The apostle says that same selfless love that servant mindset of Christ, that's your mindset. It's yours. And as you embrace that mindset, as you live out that mindset of selflessness, that's how we maintain unity. And that's how we respond to the Lordship of Christ. By selflessly serving one another the way he served us. So during high school, playing football was a big part of my life. I was crazy devoted to it, and the position I played was quarterback. And very early on, I learned that it is a good idea <clears throat> for the quarterback to be on good terms with the offensive line. 
So these big bruisers up front, they protect the quarterback, taking hits every single play so that I didn't have to and so that I could succeed. Well, as I was trying to win over my teammates, I kind of stumbled into this lesson about servant leadership and my need to set aside my own glory. So you see, if you're not familiar with football, one of the offensive linemen, a position called center, he has to hike the ball every play to the quarterback, sort of this awkward situation that somehow we feel like is normal. <laughs> the quarterback hikes the ball between his legs to the quarterback behind him, and, and you got to get up in there, you know, somehow it doesn't feel weird, but, but sometimes there's a mishandling of the snap. Sometimes there's a mishandling of the ball between the center and the quarterback, and the ball is then dropped or fumbled. But it's always kind of hard to know. Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it that the ball was dropped? Was it the center's fault not getting the ball into the QB's hands? Or was it the QB's fault not catching the ball when the center snapped it? And whenever there was a fumbled snap, the coach would always yell, what's going on? What happened? And me and the center would sort of look at one another like, okay, who's going to take the fall here? And somehow in my otherwise dense, selfish teenage brain, it occurred to me I should always take the fault for a fumbled snap. It's on me, coach. My bad. Which would then be followed by, from my coach to me, what we used to call a dog cussing. That's on the uh, job description for a football coach. You've got to be a really good cusser. And so I got an earful. But even though I took the fall, even though I set aside my personal ambition to be well thought of by the coach and be named the starter, taking the blame like this actually won me the respect of my offensive line and ultimately helped me lead them as their quarterback. Even though I wanted the status of being the starter, even though I wanted the glory of getting to take the field by impressing my coaches, the way to actually accomplish that goal was by setting aside my selfish ambition and serving my teammates. Well, this is something of a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He set aside his glory. Jesus set aside his rights. He set aside his preferences, all of his divine prerogatives. He emptied himself of so that he could serve us, so that he could save us. Though Jesus is Lord of all, he became servant of all, and now he is calling us, church, to that exact same thing as we approach one another in relationship. Selfless service, selfless love. So what's this going to look like in your life? Who is it that God is calling you to serve like Jesus served you? In what situations are you tempted to be arrogant? In what situations are you tempted to us insist on your own way? In what situations are you tempted to assert your rights, your opinion? 
And how can you instead selflessly serve those around you? These are the questions we must reflect on and answer if we are to respond rightly to the Lordship of Christ through selfless service. Secondly, Paul calls us to respond to the Lordship of Christ through humble surrender. Humbly surrender. Look at verses 9 and 10. The apostle's going to say that every human ever is going to do two things in response to the exaltation of Christ. He says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, every knee under the earth. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to humbly surrender to the Lordship of Christ. This is going to be what happens at the end of time. And so I think a part of what Paul is calling us to do is to do now what is going to happen then. Every knee is going to bow in humble surrender. And so we should do now what is going to happen then. Let's bow in humble surrender before our Lord, before the Lord. So bowing and kneeling is not something we do a lot in our culture, but it's a way of showing deference to someone, showing respect to someone. You're lowering yourself before that person. Through the posture of your body, you're demonstrating you are above me. I bow before you. And what a more appropriate response to Christ the Lord than to bow before him. He has been exalted, highly exalted, has the name above every other name, and so exalted as he is, as high above everyone ever that he is, we now bow in humble surrender before him, the Lord. So this was a big part of my struggle coming to Christ. I grew up in knowing the general framework of what Christianity is. We went to church quite a bit, so I grasped a lot of it mentally, I think. I didn't really care about any of it. It didn't affect the way I lived Monday through Saturday, but I had a general understanding. But when I got to university, some friends really shared the gospel with me. And they graciously but firmly challenged me on where I was at with the Lord. And after several weeks of talking with them about these things and looking at Scripture with them about these things, I determined I did not want to give Jesus control of my life. I do not want to live for Him. I do not want to surrender to Him. I like the way I'm living. I like the sin I'm committing. And I am not ready to put my hands up and surrender to the Lord. I want to be Lord over my own life. I don't want to surrender partying. I don't want to surrender sinful relationships. I don't want to surrender what people think of me and people's approval of me. I want to hang on to all that stuff. I want to do life my way. But thankfully, graciously, over the course of the next year, God, as He does, broke me. 
And he showed me that I am a really bad Lord of my life. And I was making an increasing mess of things. And so during my sophomore year at school, when I was 20 years old, God opened my eyes and drew me to himself through faith in Christ. And when that happened, here was my prayer of salvation. I wasn't even really thinking about it, but here's what just came out of me in that moment of new birth as I prayed to God. I give up. I give up. I give up. Through tears of remorse and repentance, I just prayed that over and over. And I walked away from that simple prayer, totally transformed from the way I'd previously lived. And I think what I was trying to say is, I give up control over my life. I give up running from you. I give up living for myself, living my way. I give up and I surrender to you, Jesus, as my Lord. Guys, every person ever is going to one day kneel, bow before the Lord Jesus. So let's do now what we are all going to do then and humbly bow, humbly surrender to the Lord. Every part of our lives, surrender it to Him and His Lordship. For me, it was partying and people's opinion of me, and certain relationships that I struggled to surrender to God's lordship. What is it for you? What's the thing? What's the person? What's the activity? What's the relationship? What's the sin that you struggle to surrender? I call on you now. Bring it before the Lord in open-handed release and humbly surrender to Him who is the true Lord over your life, whether you know it or not, whether you resist Him or not. How do we respond to the Lordship of Christ? Selflessly serve, humbly surrender, thirdly, finally, boldly confess. Boldly confess. Now, I said there's two things every human ever is going to do in response to the exaltation of Christ. Look again at verse 9 and forward. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's the first thing. And every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. The apostle says one day at the end of time, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And again, a part of what he's saying is let's do now what everyone's going to do then and confess, boldly confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, confessing is not a word we use a lot. When we do use it, we're generally talking about confessing to a crime or confessing our sin. But Paul here says we are to confess Christ is Lord. And in this sense, confess means to declare, to assert, to speak out. Jesus is Lord. And so we aren't to remain silent. We aren't to keep it to ourselves. We aren't just to say, oh, well, religion's a private matter. I don't want to offend anyone. No. We are to make it known. Jesus is Lord. 
responding to the lordship of Christ means declaring the lordship of Christ. So again, I want to relate this to my own story. Hopefully it'll be relevant to some of you. Go back before I became a Christian. My freshman year, these guys are sharing the gospel with me, encouraging me to follow Christ. And as I thought about this and struggled with it in my mind, I thought to myself, you know, if I listen to these guys, if I start following Jesus like them, how would I tell all my other friends that I'm now a Christian? Like, how could I possibly do that? That would be so embarrassing to confess Christ as my Savior and Lord to my friends that I've partied with and played football with. Like, that would just be weird. Because I knew in the back of my mind that I'd eventually have to tell them. I'd eventually have to speak up and confess Christ. And I just thought, no way. Super weird, super awkward. I'm not going through that. So you see how I was resisting the lordship of Christ on this point. I was willing to speak of my allegiance to the Houston Astros, my favorite baseball team, even though I do get some booze whenever I say that publicly now because of the cheating scandal a few years ago. Yeah, 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 haters. <laughs> but I don't care. I'm willing to speak of my allegiance to the Astros. I'm willing to speak of my allegiance to my family and my love for them. I'm willing to share about all these other things that I love in my life, but I was not willing to speak for Jesus. I was not willing to confess the lordship of Christ over my life. So friend, where are you on this? Are you ready to confess Christ is Lord? And if you're not, if you hesitate, what's blocking you? What's blocking you from boldly confessing the lordship of Jesus over your life? For me, it was that I want to be accepted by my friends. I don't want them to think I'm a religious weirdo. I care more about my reputation than I do God and truth and righteousness. But again, it goes back to that surrender piece. Surrendering what others think of me surrendering my reputation so that I can rightly respond to the Lordship of Christ and boldly confess who He is, the Lord, my Lord. And you know what I found out? Jesus loves me more than my friends will ever love me. Jesus knows me better than any of my friends know me, and He still loves me more than any of my friends love me. And so the more and more Jesus won my heart with his grace and truth as the sound of the gospel was preached over my life, as the songs of the gospel were sung around my life, Jesus more and more won me over with the truth of his love and grace. And it strengthened me to say, okay, I can speak up. I can take my stand. And if they reject me, it won't matter because I'll still be loved all the same. And friend, the same thing can happen for you. Look to Christ. See the way that he selflessly served. See the way he sacrificially loved. See the way he graciously serves and saves us who are so unworthy. 
and surrender to that love. Surrender to the love of God. Release everything to His Lordship over your life. And that will then empower you to speak for Him. To confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's the gospel's answer to this most important question. Who is in charge? Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, and this gospel truth demands a response. A non-response is not an option. The universal lordship of Christ requires that we selflessly serve one another in the same way he served us. The lordship of Christ requires that we humbly surrender all of our lives, all of our lives, to him. And the lordship of Christ requires that we boldly confess and make him known. He who is the Lord and what he's done saving us from our sins. And so I pray that more and more your heart will release fear and sin and doubt. And as you release these things, it'll make space for the grace of God to come in. And then it will empower our witness to a lost and dying world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand together as we respond to God's word. And I will pray for us. Our Father in heaven, We come before you in the name of him who is the eternal word made flesh. We pray to you now in the name of him who is in the form of God and yet took the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men. We come before you in the name of Christ the Lord. Our Father, we are grateful for your sacrificial heart. We are grateful for your selflessness. That you, worthy as you are, holy as you are, you considered us more significant than yourself. Jesus, the Lord of glory, considered us broken, sinful, selfish people. You considered us more significant than yourself. So, Father in heaven, I pray that this gospel truth, this Christmas truth, would be lived out in the the life of this church. Father, we confess to you, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We confess to you. We have sought to be Lord of our own lives. We have sought to be Lord of other people. God, would you give us the mind of Christ who laid himself aside for the sake of others and in this way empower our witness. Oh God, we pray for the Aka people. We pray for the 1040 window. We pray for Royal Oak. 
There's places of darkness all around us. God, may our witness, may our generosity, may our faithfulness, may our obedience lead to the Lord boldly being made known, lives, cultures, countries being transformed. Only you can do it, God. And so we rely on you fully. We surrender to you fully. And we're expectant in what you will do in days to come. Keep us unified and keep our witness bright. In the name of Jesus, amen.